Thanks, Emma. Good morning, Brookside. Good to see everybody. Beautiful spring day, huh? Man, gotta love. Just keep this stuff coming, right? Right. Well, I too just want to say, as Emma has, um, if you're a guest here with us today, uh, it's your first time here. We just want to um, welcome you and uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us uh, today. And do pray that just the Spirit of God um, just moves powerfully in your heart. And uh, but again, thank you. Uh, just thanks for uh, being here with us today. We think you should get extra credit, actually, for coming on a cold day. So, well, One of the things that um, I, I love about us being able to come together and us being able to worship our Heavenly Father is the, the fact that what is true of Him um, is one of these realities that we just can kind of really enjoy, um, is that He knows us, right? Um, he knows our name. He knows everything about us. He, he knows <clears throat> the weeks that you guys have had. He knows um, some of the trials that you faced. He knows some of the joys that have come along the way as well. And, um, and, and with that, we can approach him. He, um, he, he's fully, fully aware and fully wanting us to approach him. And so even before we dive into our text for this morning, I'd, I'd like for us just to go to the Lord and con- in a spirit of continued worship, really, and, and, um, and just pray uh, and just, one, thank him that he does know us. He does care about everything that's going on in our lives. But two, let's ask him, Lord, would you do a work in me? Lord, would you speak to me through your word? And so, so would you pray with me? And, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this morning. Lord, I thank you that um, each and every person, you know who they are. Uh, you know what their, the last seven days have held for them, the ups and the downs, and um, you're not absent from us. And so we thank you that you're that kind of God. You are in our lives. You are fully aware and you care. And um, Lord, this morning, um, we want to bring before you um, the things that are going on with us, um, whether they're challenging or whether they're bringing a lot of joy. Uh, we lay those before you, um, knowing that you care. And uh, Lord, this morning, we also wanted to say, Lord, we worshiped you in song, and Lord, now we want to worship you through the teaching of your word, and we want to pray that, God, you would do a work inside of our heart. And so would you even now just have a simple prayer before the Lord, and would you just say, Lord, would you, Lord, would you speak to me? Just on your own, just say that to the Lord. Lord, this morning I'm here, I, I came, I'm, I'm ready. And Lord, now would you speak to me? So go ahead and have that, just that short conversation with the Lord. Lord, we pray that because we believe that you'll answer it. We know that you will. And so God, as our hearts say humbly, um, we want to hear from you. We love you. We long to be led by you. Um, Lord, we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as Emma said, we began a series last week that's taking us through uh, the book of of Romans. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to finish up that first um, section in chapter one. And what we're going to find throughout this book of Romans is that chapter after chapter, it's going to give us a better understanding of the gospel. Um, As we go through Romans, we're going to continue to understand who God is. We're going to get a better understanding of who we are. And then lastly, we're going to also learn how we can have right relationship with, um, with our Heavenly Father who loves us dearly. Um, in this series through Romans, we are also, we're doing this, we're very closely tying it to this series that we've just c- come out of called The Story. Uh, in that series, The Story, we very practically heard from Steve and then Steve and Kyle about God's heart for people. 
about how God's heart beats for people who are far from him, but we also heard about the value and the excitement of, of us being able to be a people that we live on mission, that we, we get on with the, the cause of Jesus Christ and his mission. And I tell you, it's been such a blast to hear different stories about people who've been encouraged through that series, and as a result, they're taking some risks. I was talking to a, a guy last week at, in between services, and he was telling me about his extended family and how they've always been very resistant to the things of God. And he said, but I just, I felt compelled to, to reach out to them and have a conversation with them. And he made a statement that I wanted to share with you. He said this, he said, I don't know what the future holds for me or for my family. And I love and I care about them enough that I have felt compelled to share with them. And so he's entering in, he has entered in, he arranged all this, he entered into some hard conversations, but because he, he loves these people. And here's what I know about this guy. The Spirit of God has um, awakened his soul. He's, he's experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ, and as a result, it's changed him. And what he's doing then is he's saying, okay, God, you've given me this awesome, this incredibly precious gift, and now I'm looking around at other people and I'm saying, I want you, I want you to have the joy in Christ that I have. So it has been fun to hear these stories. Each week we're gonna, we go through this series in Romans, you're going to get a clear understanding of the gospel, and you're also going to have a better ability to be able to communicate the gospel to those people in your life. Steve made a statement last weekend that I, um, I wanted to go back to. He said this. He said, when we study God's word, like when we study scripture for ourselves, like to you know, increase our knowledge, increase our own you know, desire and heart for God, he said that that's one thing. He said, but when we begin to study and we, when we hear the teaching of God, when we're thinking about it through the lens of, I want to be able to take this then and use this to impact someone else, he said it takes our understanding of Scripture to a, a completely new level. Last week, uh, the text ended with a very powerful statement. Paul, a guy who was very um, opposed to the gospel, very opposed to Jesus Christ, he had an encounter with Jesus that really changed his life. And, and Paul, this person who was referred to really as an enemy of the gospel, he, he came under this understanding of who Jesus was. And then as the apostle, Paul the apostle, he wrote some verses, some words from, from chapter 1, verses 16 and, and verse 16 and 17. And these verses, they really propel us into what we're going to talk about this morning. So I want to read these to you. Powerful verses. Verse 16. Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying, I'm, I'm willing, I, I want to share it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of, of, of who Jesus is. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Get that. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a right, the righteousness of God is revealed, meaning the righteousness of God, it's, it's put on display, it's, it's made known, it's, it's cleared up, it's made understandable. Um, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous, which means that it, it's those that are in a right standing with God, it says that they will live by faith. I, I heard it said this way, that this righteousness that Paul is talking about here, that this righteousness that comes through faith, I've heard it referred to as an alien righteousness, meaning this, it's, it's something that, that we don't have on our own. It's, it's foreign to us. It's not something that, it's not a righteousness. We don't have a right standing with God that we're born into. We're not born into anything like that. We don't have a righteousness, a right standing with God that we inherit. We don't have one that we can earn. It's 100% from God. That's what Paul is 
powerfully proclaiming. That's what he's saying. That message, not ashamed of that at all. So when Paul said that the righteous will live by faith, meaning those in right standing, they'll live by faith, he didn't mean that the righteous will earn their right standing. He didn't mean that, they're, they're, that the righteous will somehow earn it. He, he was saying, no, 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 they receive it. It's something that is done by Jesus Christ. It's the difference between a religion where you just jump through a lot of hoops and it's very tiring and it's all about do, 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 and a religion that's Christianity that would say, no, it's done. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Today we're going to keep going and we're going to look, and those verses again, that, that is a context, propels us into verses 18 through 32. And these verses, what we're going to see now is the flip side of not having a righteousness from God. In this morning's 15 verses that we're going to look at as we finish up chapter 1, we're going to see this text take a turn. And I got to tell you, it's a hard turn. It's not a pleasant turn at all. When we get to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and really it goes this way all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, we're going to see that this text is it's hard, but it's critical. It's hard, but it's a critical part of the gospel. In these verses, we're going to hear about God's condemnation. That's what's highlighted in these verses. Your Bible might even have this heading above this particular section, right above verse 18. It might say, God's wrath against mankind. Now, these aren't the kind of verses, you know, that you're going to stencil on the walls of your dining room, right? You're not going to find these in a Hallmark card, anything like that. And yet, don't miss this, these are the kind of verses, while they're easy, we could say, you know what, it would just be easier to skip over them. If we did that, we would miss a crucial part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. Our ability to fully commit to God will always be limited by how clear our understanding is of him. The, the clearer that we understand who God is, it affects everything in our faith, how we pursue him, with what passion, with, with who we, how we think about other people. How clearly we understand him, it's the game, really. Jot this down. This is just a simple phrase, main point. Here it is. Clarity leads to commitment. Clarity leads to commitment. The clarity of your picture of God impacts your pursuit of God. The clarity of your picture of God impacts your pursuit of him. Let me ask you a question, thinking about just the, the seriousness and really the hardness of this text. Have you ever had a friend that spoke some, some very hard words into your life? Like a friend that they, they really loved you, they really cared about you, and they saw something that was happening in your life, and so instead of just staying back and just kind of watching it happen and maybe talking to a friend or their spouse or somebody else about it, they actually had the courage to step forward and they talked to you. And they said, hey, I, man, I care about you. I care about your future. I, I, gotta just, I, gotta, I just got to tell you, I, I see this in your life. You ever had that happen to you? How did you feel when you received those words? It's hard, isn't it? I, I can think of times like that. You're like, whoa, it's not something you want to sign up for very often. But was, isn't it true that when those words have come to you, though they're hard to receive, though they're uncomfortable, you're so glad that you heard them. Because then you were able to step back from your life and go, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't see that. Thank you. That's, that's a gift to me. This text this morning, it kind of gives you that sinking feeling in your stomach. Kind of that feeling when a friend delivers some news that you might not have been aware of. Something that you just go, whoa. 
I'm glad I know that, but it's not really pleasant to hear. And while it would be nice, honestly, if we could just skip over this particular passage of Scripture and get to some better news that we're going to come across in Romans, we get to chapter 4, it would be nice to do that, but we would be missing so much. Because when we take these words to heart, like when you take the words of a friend to heart, it impacts us in a huge way. When we, when we take those hard words, they result in maybe some discomfort at first, but they give us a clear understanding that we would never trade. You could think of it like this. We can participate, or you could even say we, we can be involved, or we can attend regularly to things that are important to us. But we really don't fully commit to things, and we, we surely don't wholeheartedly commit to things that we don't understand. We don't go all in for things that we don't fully understand. And without question, we want to fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. This whole thing was so important to the Apostle Paul that this was a, such a critical piece of the gospel that he spent more time talking about the, this than any other part of the gospel. Now, one thing to keep in mind as we go through these verses is that Paul is writing his audience his audience is followers of Jesus Christ. And so he's not wanting us to hear these words and go, oh yeah, that's good for those people. Oh yeah, I'm so glad that preacher boy up there said that because so-and-so outside the faith, they needed to hear that. No, not the case at all. Paul's writing to followers of Jesus Christ and his desire is for us to be able to hear these things so that we clearly understand the gospel. Clarity leads to commitment. Let me say this even strong, more strongly. Without this part of the gospel, without the, what the text presents to us today, we have no gospel. It's that big. One author put it like this. Paul is showing us that the gospel is necessary, not simply to make us happy, not simply to make me happy, but because there is such a thing as wrath of God that I face. Paul's confidence, joy, and passion for the gospel rest on the assumption that all human beings are, apart from the gospel, under God's wrath. If you don't understand or believe in the wrath of God, the gospel will not thrill, empower, or move you. Another commentator put it like this. God's active work in judgment is essential to the faith. Essential for understanding the work of Christ and essential for establishing God's love. Without God's wrath, God's love is hallowed of all meaning, and God's character is maligned. Is that important? So with that as a backdrop, let's look at our text. If you've got a Bible, flip there with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We'll, we'll put the, the verses on the screen as well. So here we go. Verse 18, Paul writes this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth, meaning people who ignore the truth, people who, who push it away, people who say, okay, I understand what the truth is, but I, I'm going to suppress it, I'm going to keep that down. He says, by their wickedness, verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. He's saying that there's no mystery in who God is. There's not any mystery People know, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood for what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, there's a basic assumption that Paul's making here in the text. It's that people know that there is a God. 
It's that before anybody opens up their Bible, there is in everyone's soul an inner witness that there is a God. If you go clear back to the, the book of Genesis chapter 2, we see that we were created in the Imago, we were created in the image of God. We're image bearers of God. This is why even people that maybe normally don't have anything to do with the things of God, people that are often very irreligious, they go through a trial or they come maybe to the end of their life and all of a the sudden they're saying things that maybe surprise you even. They're saying, hey, would you pray for me? You're like, well, really? You're interested in that? The first service, a gal came up to me and she said, my mom had this friend and she said she went through her whole life denying God, denying God, denying God. She got to the end of her life, sick with a you know, life-threatening illness. She said, boom, turned on a dime for her. Right? There was something inside of her all along that was giving witness. There is a God. There is a God. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that in God's creation, it, it surrounds every single person. And he's saying because of it, everyone is without excuse. Because creation even gives evidence, great evidence, to the glory, to the majesty of who God is. I love this. This is Psalm chapter 14. It says that the heavens, what do they do? They declare the glory of God. The skies they proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. And this is like when, when you and I, when we see a beautiful sunset, and, and it just wows us. And all of a sudden, we're driving in the car, whatever, we see this sunset, and we just go, Man, it almost creates in us right then we just want to worship God. Because we can't explain that. We can't, we can't, nobody can paint like that. Nobody can do anything. It's just that up there. It's that amazing. It's that beautiful. Kyle, who was up here the uh, uh, last couple of weeks, he's an ophthalmologist. And so there are lots of times when he'll be talking about the human eye and all the intricacies of the eye and going into more detail than the average person like me really cares about until like something goes wrong, you know? And, which, like, I, I must admit, like, I'm having to hold the pages a little further out, so something's going wrong, so I'm, I'm starting to care more about what he's saying. But he can go on and on and on about the detail of the human eye. He loves it. And he keeps going and going and going. And you know what he's doing? He's proclaiming through his words, there is a creator. Because he says things like this, it's just too brilliant. It's just too impressive. It's too wonderful. It's too smart. He's proclaiming it's from God. Paul makes this basic assumption. People know. People know that there is a God, and they know that they will one day be accountable to him. But at the same time, I think it's easy for us to really never think very much about the seriousness of our sin up against a perfect and a holy God. Again, remember this, our picture of God, our clarity on who he is, it leads to our commitment, it leads to our faith, it leads to our desires to want to either keep it to ourselves or to share it with other people. I want to read this as an excerpt from David Platt in one of the books that he wrote. And this was helpful in, in understanding this. He wrote this, he, he said, I had this friend, Azim, an Arab follower of, of Christ and a friend of mine. He said that he was recently talking to a taxi cab driver in his country. And the driver believed that he would pay for his sins for a little while in hell, but then he would surely get into heaven after that. After all, he said, I haven't had that many sins. I'm really not that bad. I haven't done things that are extremely horrible. And so this man, Azim, said to him, 
okay, well, what if I slapped you in the face? What would you do to me? And the driver said, well, I would throw you out of my, I'd throw you out of my cab. He said, okay, well, what if I walked up to a stranger on the street and I, I slapped that person right in the face? What do you suppose would happen to me? And he said, well, that person might go get their friends and they, they might beat you up. He said, okay, well, what if I approached a police officer here and I, I slapped him right in the face? What do you suppose would happen to me then? He said, well, that police officer would surely beat you up and then he'd throw you in jail. And then he said, well, what if I went to the king of this country and I slapped him right in the face? What do you suppose would happen to me then? And he said with kind of an awkward laugh, he said, you would die. And the driver got Azim's point, and he realized that he had been severely underestimating the seriousness of his sin against God. And then Platt just summarized it up like this. This is powerful. The penalty for sin is not determined by our measure of it, meaning what we think of it, how serious we think it is. The penalty for sin is determined by the magnitude, by the greatness of the one sinned against Remember, when we have clarity on who he is, it changes everything for us. It's crucial in our understanding of the gospel. Paul continued, goes into more detail. Verse 21, he writes, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. They meaning, man, they were totally ungrateful. They had the blessings of God, but they gave God no credit for them. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were dark. In verse 22, for although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged, and this word's really important here in the context, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now this text is not very hard to, to, to understand at all. Well, what Paul is describing here is something that we can relate to. He's describing what happens when the affections of our heart go from the things of God to the things of man. He's describing, and those can be anything. It could be our stuff. It could be a relationship. It could be us personally. It could be um, finding in our, our security and wealth or whatever it would be. But Paul's saying what they've done is they've exchanged. They said, okay, this, this, this is my God now. I'm taking the God of the universe, my creator, and I'm swapping it out for something else. Really, I'm making an idol of something else. I'm worshiping not the creator, but I'm worshiping the creation. Jeremiah, the prophet, he said it like this, and picture him standing before this group of people, and, and these people had turned from the worship of God to the worship of created things, and which we can get in our culture. This, this isn't a foreign concept to us. And he said this, but my people have exchanged their glory, capital G there, their glory meaning their God. He said they've exchanged their glory for worthless idols. They have forsaken me the spring of living water and they've dug their own cisterns. They've gone their own way. And then he said broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And then with empathy, he says, consider and realize, meaning this, consider and realize where this is going to lead. So how does, how does a holy, how does a perfect, how does a holy, perfect, and loving God respond when we do this? How does he respond when we exchange him for other things? How does the wrath of God play out? Verse 24 says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Some translations say in the, the cravings of their hearts 
Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. Now, three different times Paul repeats in this text. He says that that God gave them over. And, And here's what that means. God let them go their own way. God let them do what they wanted to do. Our punishment for sin is to bear the consequences of sin. It's to live in the consequences You've maybe heard that, this statement before, tough love, right? You've maybe heard a parent say this in the context of parenting. A horrible thing for a parent to have to face, but what they're saying is, okay, I've got this child that's gone astray, and I've maybe coddled them for a long time, and I've bailed them out, and I keep holding their hand, and I keep taking the call, and, and I just keep trying to do that, and you can still stay at home, and I'll, I just keep, I keep going the extra, 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 extra mile to, to really keep this child and then a parent sometimes will say this when they feel like they're led to do this. They'll say, but now it's time for tough love. And they make an extremely hard call, extremely hard. And what they're saying is this, I think my child would actually learn. They'll be better off in the future if I just let them experience the consequences of their sin. If I just kind of, if I let them go, if I give them over to what they really want. And what God is saying here is this, if you and I if we keep suppressing the truth, if we just say, you know what, I'm just going to keep going my own way, if we keep pushing God away, what it says here is that he will give us what we want. He will let us live in the consequence of our sin. Psalm, 80 verse, or Psalm 81 says this, verse 12. You see the empathy of God in this, this parent role. It says, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices, And then he says, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. It's like this parent saying, oh, I wish you'd just listen to me. I know where it's going to take you. But although it brings pain, although it brings hurt, although it brings shame, God's saying, I gave them over to those things. I want to read one of the the stories of faith that came in and... um, Steve challenged us, encouraged us to turn in our stories, 100 words or less of your story of how you came to know Christ. And, and this one, uh, there's a line in Emily's story that really says what Paul is describing here. So I just want to read this to you. It says this, as a pastor's kid, I had an early education into who God is and what that meant to me. I became a Christian when I was six, and my relationship with God grew until I went to college, where for several years I derailed. In retrospect, I think I subconsciously believed that God was a fun hater, relate to that, who was holding out on me. After indulging in reckless pursuits of fleeting fun, I eventually realized instead of freedom, and here it is, I was ensnared by painful consequences of selfish investments. Without God, I was short-sighted and self-willed. With God, I experienced life and peace and true freedom. Paul goes on, verse 26. He says, because of this, it's what Emily described as her selfish investments. Because of this, because of this exchange of, of God for other things, it says that God, here it is again, gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations with unnatural ones. Verse 27, in the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, why does Paul zero in on homosexuality here? I mean, why of all places does he go into that? Remember, remember where he came from, verse 20. What was Paul talking about? He was talking about creation. And so he goes back to, to Genesis chapter 1, and he's saying, hey, clear back at the beginning, when, when God created mankind, he looks at creation, and God creates man and woman, and he creates them in his image. And so they're, they're expressing his image, that's who they're image bearers. And the first commandment that God gives them is, hey, be fruitful and multiply. And so what Paul is doing here is he's going back to creation and he's looking at what is very evident in his, his, in his own culture and he's saying, okay, that's going against God's design. He's saying it's just evident. It's going against obvious. In a way, it's saying, hey, I reject what God has lined up, what God has set up. I, I'm rejecting with my passions, with my desires. I'm saying, hey, regardless of what God thinks about that, this is, this is what I'm going to follow. Now, he hits it right away, not because it's the epitome of all sins. It's not. He hits it right away, not because it's the worst sin or the most condemnable. No. It's because it was readily evident. I mean, in first century Rome, Paul didn't have to to look hard for that. And so it was readily evident. He goes on to things that aren't so evident. Look with me at verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that, so that they do what ought not be done. Verse 29, and they became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Think about the word greed there for a second. Greed is a desire to have more when you don't need it. Have you ever felt that? Man, I know I have. I mean, think about our culture. We live in a, a greedy culture. We want more. We want bigger, faster, nicer, cleaner, right? We, we want more. I hear that and I go, wow, I, that's me. That's me. You're, you're describing me. Our culture is consumed with that. He goes on. He says, they are full of envy. Now, envy, that's even, that's worse than greed. It's kind of like a dark greed. It means that I'm angry because I have what you want. And since you have it, it makes me mad. I'm full of envy. I'm full of murder, strife. Uh, deceit and malice. He goes on. He says that there are gossips. Let me ask you, have you ever found yourself, you're in a conversation with somebody else, and all of a sudden you find yourself talking not in a positive way about someone else, and you know in your heart that you would never say what you're saying to this other person actually straight to the face of, of the person you're talking about? If you have ever done that, you're a gossip. And so am I. I'm guilty of that. I read through this list and I go, wow, my name's in this list. He goes on, not only gossip, but slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant. You ever been arrogant? You ever been boastful of pride? They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. What Paul is saying is not only do they do those things, but they celebrate them when they do them, and then they bring other people right into them. He's saying it's not just that they do them, they, they applaud it when somebody else does it. I've got to be honest, this list is convicting. How many of these things can you pin on yourself? I find myself in this list multiple times. At our house, we, um, we like to watch sports, and 
uh, Christine and I, during NFL football season, uh, kind of made a, a Sunday night date night, you know, and, and kids would go to bed, and so we would watch the, the game, Sunday night game, and, and our favorite part was always this, and she'd always say, Jeff, it's on, it's on, you know, and it's the part where they would mic the, the players, you know what I'm talking about? I don't call it mic or something, I don't know. But they would have a microphone um, on the coach or the players throughout the whole game. And then they'd go back and, and they'd, they'd replay different things throughout that week that different players had said and coaches. And it's kind of an inside scoop to what the coach is, how he's coaching his players. Pretty interesting. But let me ask you this. What would it be like if you were always mic'd up? What if your loose words and thoughts were recorded and then they were available for broadcast for everyone to hear? What if there was a rolling camera behind your eyes that captured not only what you look at, but then what you think about while you're looking at it? Just that thought creates discomfort in us, doesn't it? It feels condemning, doesn't it? It makes us want to say, let's not do the mic'd up thing, you know? Let's not, let's not nobody invent that camera. That's a bad idea, right? Let's suppress that idea. Let's suppress the truth on that. What Paul is wanting to make unmistakably clear here in this passage, we can't miss this, he's wanting to make it clear, there is a problem. And as a result of that problem, we then get to ask the question, then what do we do? Here it is. We run to Jesus Christ. We run to the truth of those two verses we shared at the beginning. I can understand why Paul could write this after he wrote verses 16 and 17. We go back to his statement. He said this, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. What does it do? It brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We cling to that. Honestly, as a person that is bankrupt of my own righteousness, I run to Jesus Christ because through faith in him, I receive righteousness. We run to him. This morning, we let the wrath of God bring clarity to our commitment to him. We let this idea of, okay, as I clearly understand the wrath of God, as I clearly understand who he is, what does it cause me to do? It causes my commitment to him to go through the roof. I read a very insightful excerpt from something that Tim Keller, just a a lead pastor and author, and he said this, and I'm just going to read this to you, but he he personally wrestled with this, as I know I have too. He wrestles with the wrath of God, the condemnation of God. And this was helpful, though, and this this really leads us right into what we're going to do with taking communion this morning. He said this, He said, it was in studying the Garden of Gethsemane. And the the Garden of Gethsemane, that's the scene in the New Testament where Jesus is, he's about to go to the cross, right? And in in those moments before the cross, he knows it's about to come. He knows what he's about to bear. He says to the Father, Father, hey, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? Would you take this cup of suffering? Would you take this process that I'm about to endure for mankind for their forgiveness? Would you take this? Is there any other way? But if not, then I'll I'll go through it. And Tim Keller writes, you know, in studying the Garden of Gethsemane, in that moment when Jesus was wrestling with the wrath of God of all of our sin that he would bear in that moment, he said this, when I find it was in that moment that I finally came to peace with it, the wrath of God. 
Because I realize that the reason why people get rid of the idea of hell and wrath is because they want a loving God. They say, well, I can't believe in hell and wrath because I want a more loving God. He writes, I came to realize that in the Garden of Gethsemane, that if you get rid of the idea of hell and wrath, you have a less loving God. If you believe in wrath and in hell, if you do not believe in wrath and in hell, it trivializes what he has done, what Jesus Christ has done. If you get rid of a God who has wrath and hell, you have a God who loves us in general, but that's not as loving as the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus Christ who loves us with a costly love. Think about this for a second. The cross of Jesus Christ, what was it? It was the fullest expression of God's love. Yes, God's love, but it was also the fullest expression of God's wrath, of God's judgment of sin. Those two came together when Jesus Christ, think about it, when he was smitten, when he was beaten, when he was flogged, when he was wounded, when he was chastised for us. Love and wrath came together on the cross. Powerful. Jesus, think about this, he came to live the life that we could not live because he was sinless, and, but he died then the death that you and I deserve to die. There are three words that came to my mind as I was preparing and, and thinking about this text, and in particular thinking about us about to take communion. It's these three words, paid in full. I mean, through Jesus Christ, think about this, the debt has been paid in full. Because of Jesus Christ, when I look at that list, I go, yeah, that's me. Oh, yep, that's me. Oh, I struggle from that. No better than, nope. I go, wow, I'm, I'm guilty. But because of Jesus Christ, paid in full. You might look at these, um, these verses, 16 to 32, and really all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. You might look at them and go, gosh, I really wish they weren't in there. But I'll tell you what, if you let these verses impact your heart, and you let them bring kind of conviction on you, and you end up saying, guilty, I'll tell you what, they are a gift to you. They are a gift to you because they bring clarity to not only who Jesus Christ is, but also to who you are. And that allows us to have a right understanding of the gospel. And that allows us to not shy away from Christ, but to run to Christ and to proclaim as Paul did, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of not just a few, but for anyone, for anyone who would believe. And so this morning, we're going to take communion, and um, I really pray that it has some really strong meaning for us this morning, that we really remember, wow, we take this bread, when we take this cup, we're talking about Jesus bearing the wrath of God for my sin for, and for your sin. And so just to kind of help prepare us, let's, let's pray together, um, and we'll take it. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, it's a hard text, but Lord, it's so important to the gospel so, Lord, would you, I pray, the conviction that maybe we feel, I, I pray if we would say, wow, guilty. God, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for your word that leads us to a point of knowing that we're, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so, Lord, this morning, we just cry out to you in worship, and we say, thank you, God. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I don't know, God, I would just say to you, the scriptures are very clear, whoever would believe in him would have relationship, would have eternal life. 
And so this morning, you could begin that and you could say to Jesus, Jesus, I trust you, Jesus. I, I put my faith in you and what you've done for me. And when that happens, you go from being unrighteous to being righteous in his eyes. Not because of you, but because of him. So Lord, we love you. God, we pray you would lead us now. In Christ's name, amen.